Welcome to the Teachers Unified Podcast. I'm Sarah Lerner. In this episode, we'll hear from Amy Kenny, an educator and yoga instructor. She speaks about her experience with gun violence, why yoga, meditation, and the mind-body connection are so important to healing, and the sides of survivor guilt that most people don't talk about. I would like to introduce a very, very, very good friend of mine, Ms. Amy Kenny, who taught with me at Stoneman Douglas for five years-ish? Five-ish, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) English teacher, yoga instructor, sounding board, wonderful friend. So thank you for doing our show. My pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I always like to start out with finding out about our guests. So tell me about your family, where you grew up, your childhood, and then we'll move into college and professional experience. Well, I am a middle child. I grew up in Valley Stream, which is on Long Island, right outside of New York City. I would say I'm more of a city girl because it was pretty close to New York City. It was right near Queens and... um, that was sort of our stomping grounds. We did our field trips there when we were in elementary school to New York City. And um, so I like to say I'm a city girl. Uh, however, it was a suburban neighborhood and um, a pretty regular, normal childhood. Uh, it was back in the day where you didn't have to come home until the streetlights went on. And I was on my bike and running around with the neighborhood kids and just kind of having a good time. My parents were upper middle class until my dad uh, had a premature heart disease and diabetes and had his first heart attack when I was 15 years old. And um, I like to say that was, I don't like to say it, but I have come to realize that that was probably one of the most traumatic events ever in my life. And since we're probably going to get into further trauma and I've been unpacking all the trauma in my life, I choose to kind of start there. Although there was prior trauma that I haven't quite unpacked yet. That's a whole other story. <laughs> Anyhow, he was um he had a heart attack and I was right there and I had to like you know be in the back seat and was worried I was going to have to do CPR and, and get to the hospital and he he survived that heart attack and um, but it changed the dynamic of my entire family and my entire life actually because I was always worried something was going to happen or he was going to be sick or have a heart attack or whatever it was and uh, he did end up subsequently passing away at fifty four years old. I was only 24 years old when he died and my son was uh, just a baby, like two and a half or three years old. So it was pretty traumatic. I lost my dad when, when I was young, you know, as a young woman and, um, and he was sick for all those years too. So at the time I didn't realize that that was so much trauma in my life, but it really was. So that was sort of my childhood up until in my twenties, I kind of glossed over college because, um, it was a pretty fun time for me. I just kind of did my own thing and had a good time and was an English major, which ended up kind of putting me into the career of English teacher. So obviously there's lots of holes and gaps in there, but <laughs> kind of think, I think I brought you up to speed. I didn't know that you were 15 when your dad had a heart attack. So my dad had a uh, stroke when he was, oh God, I was 16. Wow. So he was 45. Like- 40, he was, was 45. Wow, that's so weird. I didn't know that yeah. about you. And yeah. he he had gone to work, didn't feel well, drove himself home 
it was over the summer. It was like three weeks before my brother's bar mitzvah called my mom and I couldn't drive him. My mom was at work. I couldn't drive him to the hospital because he had a stick shift and I couldn't drive a stick shift. So we had to call the ambulance. So yeah, I mean, not to make this whole thing no. about me, but I didn't know that either. And thinking about it now, that was incredibly traumatic. Well, I just had one of those moments, uh, Sarah, like where I don't know why I even shared that. Like it wasn't, it's not something I normally share. And, and this is what trauma does, right? Mm-hmm. It hides, it hides in these insidious places in your mind and something will, I hate to use the word trigger. I use the word activate because that's a better word. Oh, I like that it acti- better. Yeah. It's so much better because trigger triggers me. So it's like a yeah. whole thing, but activate. So so my story activated your story. And then in you sharing your story, it kind of brought me to a deeper place because I, I didn't think about the ride over, but it was, it was hard. Like you brought up the car piece. Right. And so at the time my dad didn't want to go to the hospital and he didn't want us to call the ambulance. And so my mom's like, well, let's go. And, and I, I, and I remember I had just taken a CPR course and I was sitting in the back seat. My dad was a big guy and I was little, I was 15. And I was like, if I have to do CPR on this man, like the whole way, this is all I'm thinking about. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Am I going to drag him out of the car and put him on the side of the road? And like, this is what's going through my 15 year old brain as I'm in complete fight or flight, you know, activated state, not knowing even what that was at the time. So yeah, of course, this is what trauma does, right? This is a trauma brain right here. And we just, we just actually showed what happens anyway. And it further furthers our connection. (laughs) Yeah, really. Wow. Parental trauma. Changing gears slightly before we get into the most recent trauma. Um, You graduate from college. You're a mom. How did you end up in teaching? What did you do before teaching? And what brought you to MSD? I graduated college and was in a relationship with my ex-husband. Now he's my ex, but uh, ended up getting pregnant at 22 years old unexpectedly. Was planning on going to grad school actually for education. <laughs> I finished college at SUNY Albany. I had an English degree and I got uh, accepted into college in New York City. I was going to go for education, get my master's, and go into teaching. That's what I decided I was going to do. Uh, and then I ended up, you know, getting pregnant and moving down to Florida because my parents were down there and I needed help. So we moved and didn't end up in teaching at that time, ended up working for a corporate company. I did relocations. I moved people over the world. It was really interesting. And I did that for a while. And then I had my daughter seven years later and again, was going to go back to school to become a guidance counselor and didn't finish that because I got pregnant again. And so I guess teaching's always been sort of like there in my, what I've wanted to be always. And it's interesting because both my sisters are also teachers. Um, my younger sister, an elementary school teacher, my older sister, media specialist. So we all ended up teachers, which is quite interesting. There were no other teachers in our family that I knew of. So after I had my daughter and, you know, did this other job for a while, she was getting ready to go into pre-K. My son was in elementary school. And I said, you know, oh, no, I'm sorry. My son was in middle school. And I said, uh, I had a friend who worked in the middle school and I said, let me, you know, let me just go and see what it's all about. I was going to do my master's. I was taking some classes and I went in and I kind of helped in her classroom where he was a student. And uh, the principal came up to me and said, Hey, like we have this job available as a reading teacher. And I looked at your credentials and would love to just offer you this job right now. And so it just kind of like happened. And it was the middle school. 
just like that, like within like a week. And I, I just gave notice at my job. It was right around Christmas. It was Christmas break actually. And, um, I gave notice and I started mid year in January. I didn't have a classroom. I was on a cart. I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) It was, it was really hard to, to jump in like that, but I knew I loved it from like instant, instant. And so I was a middle school teacher for quite some time. And my daughter came up through middle school and she was getting ready to go to high school. And um, I had some friends who worked at MSD through yoga. I was a yoga teacher also and um, actually knew the PTSA. She was a, or the SAC person. I don't know. She was, she was also a good friend. I just had a lot of connection there for whatever reason, just so much connection. There was a woman who had started a yoga program at Boca High School, who I also was really friendly with. And I kept manifesting, kept saying like, I want to teach yoga at a high school and it has to be Stoneman Douglas High School. And I'm going to give you a little bit more background on that is my first yoga teacher, the woman who introduced me to yoga, her name is Pam Leal and her daughter, Bailey Leal was a student at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School while I was a teacher at my middle school. And I'll never forget the day I got the phone call from our, our mutual friend, yoga teacher who said, I, can you talk? I was in class and I, I said, yeah, it was weird. So I went to the back of the classroom. The kids were, you know, doing some seat work. And she goes, I have something terrible to tell you. Like Pam Leal's daughter, Billy Leal, she died by suicide. You know, she, she did. And I was like, what? And this was like the most popular, beautiful girl just got into Princeton. You know, all the things, right? It was devastating. And Pam was devastated. And Pam started a nonprofit called Yoga for B because B was Bailey's nickname. And uh, I was really involved with her nonprofit. And she would hold events at Douglas. And I would go and help with the events. This was way before I was even the teacher there. But knew like this yoga thing and this yoga program. And it was just kind of all bubbling up. And Pam looked at me. She goes, they need you here. And I was like, what? She goes, I have chills. I just said it. And she goes, they need you here. This school needs you. Bailey is not the first one. This school has a history of tragedy. This school has a history of suicide. This school has a history of all kinds of car crashes and death and all kinds of stuff. And I said, I need to do this. Like, this is what I need to do. I contacted the principal, Ty Thompson, like out of literally nowhere. We had done an event. I met some people. I knew some people. I said, listen, I want to teach yoga at your school. He's like, "Um, I don't know who you are. We don't have a yoga program at our school and you're not even a certified high school teacher. I'm like, I know, but I'm going to get all that done. I'm going to get my PE certification and I'm going to get my English certification for high school. And, um, and this is, we, we need this. He was so open and so amazing. And I literally annoyed the crap out of this man. Like I emailed him probably like every other day, but would tell him like, I just passed this exam. I just passed this exam. He's like, we don't have a position, you know, he was so nice to me. Like he could have at any time shot me down, but he didn't. And I kept checking like <laughs> the, the, you know, the internal job posting. And there was a woman, I don't know who she is. You might know who she is. She was a senior English teacher and she retired early. Like she left in like April of that year or something. It was 2016, maybe. I don't know. I couldn't remember her name if you told me. But anyway, the job posting came available for like a a hot minute because that's what it does, right? But they had no intentions of hiring and filling the position. And I called him on the phone and I said, you have a position available in English. He goes, how, who are you? Like, how do you know that? I was like, I really need a chance. Like you, and he's like, all right, you know what? I'm going to let you come in and interview on your own. I'm like, just fine. Like appease me. Right. So I went in and, um, Winifred Porter, which I think you had Mr. Porter in your show. A couple I weeks did. Ago. So I met with him and Donna Melkin, who was the head of the English department. And, um, I brought a stack, like a folder 
failed and I'm, I'm going to toot my own horn now. Like I'm a damn good teacher, right? <laughs> a yes, folder filled with like parents and students and all kinds of administrators, just all my accolades. And I came in and sat down with Porter and Amalkin and I had my interview and I said, here's this folder. And he looked at me and I said, I know it seems like really over the top, but I need you to know that I really want this job and I really want to teach at the school. And it wasn't even about yoga at that point. Like I just wanted to. And he said to me, and I'll never forget his words. He goes, if you don't toot your horn or if you don't show how amazing you are, who else is going to do it? I really appreciate this. And I was like, I love this educator. This is an amazing administrator. Like I just knew it. And they literally, he basically said, like, I can't not hire you. Like, you are exactly what we need here. So they did. They hired me. And um, it was great. And I started in that next September. And um, I had a couple of really good friends there. And um, they just advocated for me. And I knew um, the principal secretary and I knew one of the assistant principal. Just the whole universe lined up, you know. And they actually gave me a room. Um, it was the first room. It was 1214 in the 1200 building and I was downstairs in that first room and I was so happy to be teaching English in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. It was amazing and he actually gave me two uh, yoga classes to try to see how it went in the morning and um, I did it and it was fantastic. By the the next year, two years later, it was, um, they called me in and said, listen, we had like 300 kids sign up for yoga. Are you willing to, you know, leave the English department and do this full time? And I said, absolutely. I would love to. And that was in um, 2018. I moved out of my classroom. I remember when you got hired because I was already there and you had a whole bunch of students I had in ninth and 10th grade. And then I got them back as seniors and I remember you had Darius Trotman, who was one of my English kids who became a yearbook kid. And he had me and then would leave me and go to you. And every day, because I don't think we were on block schedule yet, every day I would tell him, uh, please don't forget to tell Miss Kenny that I love her. He's like, I got you, Miss Lerner. I got you. <laughs> I'm hoping the messages were relayed. Yeah, I remember that you were in that building. And I was so happy for you when you got like the full time yoga spot because like I was jealous because I love yoga and I've taken your yoga classes and you are a phenomenal teacher. But I just kept thinking like, what a sweet gig this is. Like what a dope schedule to like literally do yoga all day. Like how zen you must have been. I wish I could do something like that. Like it, it must have been cool. It was really cool. I loved every second of it. It was it was not just yoga. It was meditation. It was social skills. It was the getting to know each other. It was it was so many things, and it was exhausting. It was more exhausting than teaching regular classes. Really, believe it or not, yes, it was emotionally exhausting to me huh. because I poured in so much to these kids. It was so important to me that this just wasn't some bogus, you know, elective and they just slept all day. That because people would say that, oh, they just sleep in there. No. We talk, we did group work, we we did like, you know, we made mat spray and we made bracelets and we did group activities and they videoed themselves. Like it wasn't just yoga. And I infused so much English. We would write, we would journal, we would share. It was, it was a, like, it was a, a blank slate that I got to create this most amazing, whatever the day was, it was amazing. And it was, 
it was exhausting for me emotionally, but it was so the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my probably in my whole life. And the kids loved it. Like, you know, there are some electives and I teach an elective and there are some electives that just like, oh, God, like, do I really have to go to this class? But I never heard the kids say that about your yoga class because every day was different, even though it was the same, like at its core, it was always different. And you did put so much of yourself into it because you did yoga for us, the teachers. Mm -hmm. And that was awesome. And, you know, you did that after teaching all day. And it was it was great for us. How have you used yoga personally, like to help you through your healing? I really think that I used yoga at, through my healing was it was giving. That was how I healed. It was to pour into others. Really was initially my what I thought was my healing, which turns out was my healing at the time. But now I need to like pour back to myself. So I really used yoga as a vehicle to build community, which ultimately is how we heal, right? Is just to share experience and move our bodies, move energy out of our bodies and, and, you know, that meditation piece of it, that mindfulness piece of it. So for me personally, I wouldn't say it was my personal practice, although that did help. It was really more of me doing yoga for teachers and yoga for the athletes and yoga for the community and, you know, starting my nonprofit and helping kids, you know, empower themselves. So I would say it isn't just the movements, the asanas, we call them the actual postures. Yoga is so much more than that. It's it's so much more than just moving on your mat. It's this whole big piece of community and mindfulness and awareness and, and all the things. Tell me about your experience from February 14th. I feel like I already know. I think I do. But for everyone else, because your story is different than mine and different than everyone else's who we've spoken to from MSD. So as much as you're comfortable sharing, the floor is yours. The day started really odd. It's a really weird day. We had a meeting. And in the meeting, I met Scott Beagle for the first time ever because he had been new at MSD that year. And I just never really crossed paths with him. So it was a social studies and a PE kind of together meeting. So I'll never really forget that. Obviously, it was Valentine's Day and everybody was kind of like joking around. I was like, and I even said to him, like, you're so cool. Like, how I, how do I have, how have I not met you? Like, we were just laughing. And the meeting was really, then it became like really kind of weird. And it was like, you need to lock your doors and you need to do this and it's done. And it was, it really felt like it just felt weird. And prior to that, you know, we had that one, we had a meeting like right before that too, like a staff meeting where they played the Columbine tape and we heard the actual 911 tapes. So it was like right after that. So it all was kind of in my mind and it just felt really weird and just didn't like how it felt. And then we had, um, we had a fire drill that day, that morning. The PE department is like a lot of kids and it's a lot going on to get all those kids out of the locker room. And I remember they told us in that meeting, you better have your rosters and you have to know where kids are. And anyway, get out there. Of course, I forget my rosters. I don't know where my kids are. And Feist comes up to me and I was really upset. I'm like, I didn't know if it was a drill. It was just so weird. And I just remember feeling so off. And he's like, don't worry about it. You're fine. And, and I was like, all right. Like, but I, I remember feeling like really activated even at that time, just like this just doesn't feel right. Anyway, the fire drill goes away and Valentine's Day and my project that day, ironically, or not ironically, or satirically, or whatever you want to call it, was random acts of Valentine's. We were making hearts on these foam 
and we were writing things like candy hearts, but they were bigger. And the assignment was to take your 10 hearts that you made in yoga. We were sitting outside right in front of the 1200 building because that's where we sat. Anyway, we made these hearts and the assignment was to give them out to anyone you saw on campus who didn't have a balloon or a box of chocolate or flowers. The kids who maybe were overlooked, the sad kids. And so it was really a teachable moment for my students to like really take care of the kids who are bullied. And they were beautiful. Like it was a beautiful moment. Vice came over, I gave him a heart. My daughter was there with me and she was like, we gave him hearts and it said, you're cute. And he was like, I know, you know, and, and so it was just, it was a great day. It was the most beautiful day. It was a clear blue day. It was a gorgeous day. And we're outside doing our thing. And um, right before the shooting happened, my last class was um, third hour. So I was outside with my kids. I'll never forget this part because it was really weird in retrospect. We were like lined up in two lines and there was like kind of an aisle in the middle. And we were doing our Valentines and whatever. And ROTC came out, marched in their full gear with their rifles, right? And they're marching right through our yoga line. And so we're in our tie-dye we're the hippies, we're hanging out on the floor, we're making our things. And ROTC comes through with their rifles. And I took a picture, I snapped a picture, because it was so, I don't know, the dichotomy of that, like the military. And it just was so interesting or weird or whatever, just struck me, like took a picture and um, they finished their march and they went on their way and we finished our things. And it was my planning period. I actually had a date that night. I had met a new guy and I had to wash my hair, which sounds so like cliche, right? And I also teach yoga on Wednesdays to the special needs kids in Parkland. At a, uh, there's a park, it's called Parkland Buddy Sports, and I teach yoga for them. And it's at the park at Pine Trails Park. And so I knew how to do that. And it was my planning period, fourth hour. Thank God it was my planning period, fourth hour, because I would have been outside with those kids sitting down, making Valentine's right during the shooting, right? If, if I hadn't had planning that period. So thank you, God, for saving 50 more students and me because we were right there. I went into the planning room and I was talking to one of my fellow coworkers and we both had radios because we're video holders. And the chatter on the radio was just weird that day. There was a lot going on. There was all kinds of stuff and kids and just, it was a lot. And I looked at her and I go, I have a really, really bad feeling. I go, I don't know what it is, but something's not right. And she looked at me and I pulled my sleeve up on my arm and all the hairs were standing up on my arm like an animal would get like and I said I feel like we're being hunted and she was like what are you talking about I, like, I don't know it's just the weirdest feeling I don't know what it is I'm gonna leave early I'm just gonna sneak out like I'm just gonna go like it was like not very much before the end of school day right it was like a couple minutes so I left. I posted that picture online of the thing on my on my account. And as I'm driving, I literally start hearing sirens. And the woman who had just told me to leave started texting me real time what was happening. And she had somebody on campus who was an officer who she was very close with. And so she was getting real time updates. Oh my God, this one was shot. This one's dead. I mean, it was like, I knew more than probably most people on campus because she was feeding me and she was hiding and it was scary and we were and I was like her lifeline at that moment like I was watching on the news my kid my son came out like it was just it was so surreal and I was like wasn't there but I was there like I knew what was going on like more than anyone else really because she knew everything 
And then they couldn't find one of my students. And I was texting with her, like, you know, Meadow, please answer your phone. People are worried about you. People are looking for you. Like, you know, what are you? And it just was horrible. And then my students were texting me. You know, one of my students used his yoga shirt as a tourniquet on a, on a girl's leg. And he's like, he was texting me. My, my students were texting me while they were in the rooms. Like, Miss Kenny, we're so scared. Like, we're using our breathing. Like, literally were telling me that. Like, I have the messages. Like, I was able to, like, communicate with them in real time and help them through this even though I wasn't on campus. Like it was so surreal. And that's all I can say is at that moment, it was just surreal. I was in shock and like everybody else, you know, I wasn't right there listening to it, but I was, I was in it. Was Brooke still on campus or did she leave early with you? Oh, this is another like layer of this that is just odd, right? My daughter had Rio Ren, her AP site, and she had her fourth hour. The beginning of the school year, as soon as she got her schedule, for some reason, <laughs> I said, Brooke, I don't want you in that class in the afternoon. She goes, why? Because you leave early and you're just not a good student in the afternoon and I want to switch the class. So I switched her in the beginning of the school year to like second hour or something. She came up to me and we're going to jump around a little bit that day and said, it's Valentine's Day. Can I leave early? My boyfriend and I want to go make pottery or something. And I was like, you know what? Your fourth hour class isn't that important. It was guitar. She normally was a wanderer into the 1200 building to use the bathroom at that time also. But I told her, okay, you can you can leave early too because, you know, it's Valentine's. A lot of kids left early that day. A lot of kids did leave early that day because of the holiday. And so I did let her leave. Thank God, A, I'd moved her out of Reoven's fourth hour, and B, I let her go because she had left. I didn't know your students were texting you, like in real time as they were in those classrooms. It was through Remind, you know, I had Remind yeah, one yeah. with my students, which is like that texting app. And because of the nature of like what I do, like, yeah, I mean, it's totally on the up and up. It's not like I'm texting kids, you know, it's no, Remind app. It's, yeah. So I use Remind also. And up until that day, I never had the replies turned on because I didn't want to hear kids complaining about the test I'm giving or like, oh, I need more time, blah, blah, blah. So I never had the replies turned on. As soon as I got back up to my classroom, because with the exception of my yearbook students who had my cell phone number, none of my students did because it's not appropriate and why would they? But once I started messaging them through Remind, I turned the replies on so that I could interact with them and have that dialogue and I have never turned them off. So I, yeah, I've had them on since that day, you know, because having gone through something like that, what if there is an emergency? What if a student does need to get in touch with me? It made the most sense to do it. Going back to what you were saying about Meadow, I had her as a freshman, as I'm sure I've told you before. And I know she wasn't at the school as a junior, I think. And I had her cousin his senior year. And I would always ask him about her. And, you know, when you talk to her, tell her I said hello and all of that. So I was so happy when she was back as a senior. And I I went to her funeral. Did you? You did. Okay. I think I sat in like the student section because I was surrounded yeah. by children. That was That was tough. It was tough for me in so many ways because her and I actually, you know, were pretty close. We got, we really bonded. And um, I recently gave the transcript of our Remind text messages to one of her family members because I moved. And I didn't know what to do with it. We'd go back and forth. And right before the break, they were doing a vision board project. 
And of course, hers was late. <laughs> and, um, you know, just so we were going back and forth. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I promise. I promise I'll never text you again. I'll, I'll never bother you again. And, and that was like our last exchange before, you know, the text messages of me saying, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? You know, there's another like little thing that happened. And I really haven't shared a lot of these kind of call them God moments because I really believe they are God moments. Right after we came back from the time off after the shooting, you know, before we did that, I it was the first time back in my office. I walked in my office and there was a stack of these huge vision boards. And I was so angry. And I was part of like the process of grief. And I was talking to one of my colleagues. I'm like, I'm so angry. These kids, like they didn't even take their vision boards. Like this is, this is something for them to like, it wasn't just an assignment. Like I was all angry. I'm like, and all these kids are dead now and people are dead. And, and, and like they couldn't even take their vision boards. And I reached in to like the center of the pile and I, I go and look and I pulled one out and it was Meadows. He hadn't taken it. And I start reading all the things on a vision board, right? And there's just one little quote, this one thing, and be okay with the apology you're never going to receive. And it just gutted me. Literally, I fell to the floor. Like it, I just, it gutted me. It's just the most horrible moment. Oh, there's so many horrible moments, but that particular moment was like this beautiful, kind girl smart loving funny giving her whole life ahead of her and I had her journal I had to give that to the family as well and you know promised them I'd never read their journals but I did have to read hers because I wanted to make sure there was nothing in there that like you know she wouldn't want her family to know or right. whatever you know so like you know so it was like really personal for me really really personal for me and I happened to have a lot of her really good friends in in the class because it was yoga they were seniors they were together they were hanging out I had Darius was one of them actually but um friends her girls like Mm -hmm. I had them all in class I'm jumping around I don't really know where you want me to go with this it's okay we're kind of focused on her now but you know I didn't know what to do at that point you know I mean I did a lot of things for the community and you know I was doing a lot for the teachers and you know, but here I had to like support my students in that moment, in those moments, you know, when we got back to school and, you know, they sent around, and I'm not going to try to be too negative, but they sent around these counselors that were like supposed to stand in as the student or whatever. And like, they really didn't do much. And it was almost intrusive to have them there. And they just didn't handle it well. And I'll never forget, like, I had to read my roster. Like I had to read my roster to take attendance that first day. And like her name was still on my roster and like I, I got got to the name and I just broke down and all the kids and they're just like you know you know 40 people in a room just like it was horrible and I painted her locker in the locker room I remember and, that you did it pink I did this and that was really you know I had felt like I had I didn't know what to do like how do you I mean how do you do this how do you come back to school like how do you help these kids how 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 do you do this and that was that was the meadow story which kind of like leads me to the next part of of what i'd like to talk about which was one of meadow's really 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 close friends um sydney aiello who was also one of my really close yoga students and um a lot of kids had a really hard time and some kids had a harder time than others and um i'm going to kind of fast forward and jump around a little bit but I ended up starting this nonprofit called Yoga for MSD, which is a spinoff of Yoga for B, which brings us right back to the beginning of my story of how I ended up at Yoga at MSD to begin with. It was Pam Leal's daughter, Bailey, right? And so we piggybacked off Yoga for B, created Yoga for MSD, and my nonprofit is to help students uh, become yoga teachers and go on retreats and um, you know spread that 
that, that movement of peace and love and joy through the world, through that ripple effect. And Sydney, um, when I met her, she's a really good friend, said to me, I want to, I want to become a yoga teacher. I want to, I want to start a nonprofit. I want to help people. And, and so her and I became really, really close. And she um, went to yoga teacher training and she went on a retreat and went to Costa Rica to get, you know, with her and a bunch of other students and, and just became really close. And she struggled and struggled. I think those kids, those seniors had it the worst because they left right after that. Like they never really came back to school and they kind of scattered all over where they went to college or, you know, whether they didn't, but nobody really kind of looked out for those kids. And um, the other kids, and I, I did stay at MSD until the ninth graders graduated. I wanted to make sure like I saw those kids through, um, but those seniors, they left and it was really tough on them. Like they didn't have the support like we had at school. We had counselors and we had, you know, we had each other and, and they didn't have that. And, um, you know, Sydney and I, she graduated and um, she's supposed to go away to school and she's going to go away. And, you know, just they struggled. And um, and sadly, that next March, uh, Sydney also died by suicide. And um, it was another it was another death from the shooting, in my opinion. I mean, and then we had another student, Calvin, who I, I didn't know, you know, but who took his, you know, died by suicide as well. And it just, you know. It's just a tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy upon trauma, trauma, trauma. I think that's something that people don't realize or think about because you're so focused on the current trauma, like what you're sitting in, that you don't think about, I don't want to call them ripple effects because I don't think that's what it is, but this like tangential trauma that leads to these additional deaths years later. It's it's a lot. And, you know, especially for the kids or the people who go through it and lose friends and lose colleagues and lose children and all of that, sometimes there's not enough therapy or yoga or antidepressants or anxiety meds. Sometimes it's just too much. And Unfortunately, this is what happens, but that's not spoken about often enough that it becomes something that people recognize or look for or keep on their radar. Like we need to be mindful of these kids because they, I don't even want to say suffered the most, but were so deeply impacted. And you're right. They did leave right after and there weren't appropriate resources for them. And I don't know that that's necessarily anyone's fault, but the kids who were freshmen benefited from everything. And even the kids who were juniors and benefited from everything that was brought to us and came out of this in a way that those seniors just didn't. I never had Sydney, but I know, I know how close you two were. And I had students who were good friends of hers and, I'm sorry that you lost her. I'm sorry that we all lost her because that's another casualty that didn't have to happen. Yeah, it's um just kind of going back to what you said. There was another um, organization that I ended up kind of working with called the Onsite Foundation. And what they do is they run retreats for survivors and victims of gun violence. And that's because uh, one of the founders of this was um, very good friends with one of the Columbine students who did take his life, I think, almost 20 years later. So it was, yeah, it was really 
so much later after the event. He was an adult. He was a kid when it happened. So it just speaks and piggybacks on what you said. Like the, and I don't like to call it the ripple effect either, but you know, everybody's affected. And this is survivor's guilt. So I'm going to just speak at what it is. I'm not a mother of one of these children. You know, like that is unfather, brother, sister, you know, my grandmother, uncle. Like I can't even fathom that. I can't even. So I almost don't even like to talk about my trauma because it's like, well, come on. Like I'm just a teacher, you know, and this is just my student. And if it impacts me this deeply, I can't even begin to wrap my head around It hurts my heart so much for these people who have lost so much that I almost don't even like talking about my own trauma around it. But I don't think that's fair. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think that's fair to say because your trauma is real and your trauma is valid. And while it is different than those families faced, you still lost students. You still came back to teach in this broken school in a broken community. You know, I struggled for a long time calling myself a survivor because I wasn't in the building and I didn't see what they saw and, you know, the list of things. But I did survive and I heard what I heard and I lost who I lost. And I don't think it's fair to us, to anyone, to minimize the experience and the feelings because they are real and they're valid and that's your truth and that's part of your journey. That's been a lot of work I've done. You know, we talk about, you know, I know you want to, you know, maybe talk about where I'm at now, you know, bringing it kind of full circle. And after I couldn't say it on my stay anymore, like I just couldn't do it. It was, it was too painful for me. I don't know why it just became unbearable. And it, I'm talking five years later, like I got those, you know, made sure those freshmen graduated and, And, you know, some of them still struggled a lot. Um, I had other students who also, you know, attempted suicide. Several, not just one, not just one. I mean, I had to be involved in a lot of situations where I had to get, you know, authorities involved on campus. I had, I mean, it was, it was a lot. Again, it wasn't just one. It, It was more. It was more than two, more than three. It was it was a lot of students that I had to intervene. And that's just me, one teacher, right? Like, I don't even know the other counselors and teachers what they had to endure and deal with. But so I just couldn't do it anymore. And I didn't want to get close to kids anymore. And I didn't want to, didn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And so I didn't know if I'd be able to teach again. You know, I didn't know, but I'm a teacher and that's what I do. You know, so how do you, how do you separate yourself? I don't know how you guys do it still at MSD, to be honest. I Once I left, it felt like I could begin begin my healing journey. And I know that sounds really wild, five years, six years after the trauma that I can finally begin to heal. I didn't think I could do it at Douglas. I just didn't think I could. Being in Parkland, going to the same places, seeing the same faces, you know, passing by the building and seeing, I just, you know, the memorials on campus and all of it. And, and the part of me felt like I was running away and I miss it too. Like there's a part of me that misses it because people don't understand because they didn't go through what I went through. And how do you explain to someone? Yeah, you know, like five of my students were killed that I was really close with and, you know, several of my colleagues. And so it's tough. Like, I, I don't, how do you do it? How do you heal? I don't mean to turn this around. I no, know no, no. Healer, I, but... I appreciate the question. I don't know. I don't know that it is getting easier. I think 
for me at least, it's important. It was important that I stayed, especially through like that freshman class until they graduated. But by that point, my son was in high school and now he's a senior and my daughter is there and she's a freshman. And I knew that the students needed me and I needed them so that we could be there for each other. You know, it's been years and all of those kids are gone, but there are siblings and there are cousins and in my case, children of someone who is on campus and Mm -hmm. my colleagues who are still there. And we are such a minority among the faculty that there's comfort in, for me, there's comfort in being with people who went through it. And when something isn't right, we kind of all band together to speak up. You know, you can't keep doing these lockdown drills during the same period every month. You know, we can't do this the same week as this because it's too much. You know, like we we're there to advocate for each other and with each other, which is helpful and I think is important. And I I remember standing there like the first day of school, the 18-19 school year, and I thought to myself, like I'm going through like my first day shtick and, you know, my rules and all of this. And I I said, like, eventually I will be the only person in this room who is here that day. And that time has come, you know, several fold. And that's a weird feeling, but I can't see myself teaching anywhere else, certainly not in Broward County, because this is my third school and I'm eight to 10 years from retirement. This is this. (laughs) This is the last stop on the train. But for you, I'm curious what it's like being, you know, quote, that teacher from that school. Like, do people know where you came from? Like, do you share this with your colleagues and your students or do you just kind of like let it ride? It's interesting because part of me leaving, you know, the area was to kind of shed the identity, I guess, would be for lack of a, a better way to say it, right? However, you can't because it is part of who I am and the fabric of who I am. I did share it on my interview, you know, and I had to. It's on my resume, you know. And I remember even getting choked up at the interview and they were just like, because they people want to know and just out of curiosity, you know, just and sometimes I'm okay to share and sometimes I'm not, you know. So I don't advertise it. Like I don't lead with it. It doesn't, you know. But I will tell you, like, things have come up for me in a school. Actually, when I was going to get the job, I forced the interviewers to let me come in and do a tour. I said, I can't take this job unless I tour your school. I said, I know it's unconventional, and if you don't want to, it's fine. Uh, Two schools I interviewed with, and I made them give me, like, an hour and a half tour because I needed to see the exits and the security and all of it. And I declined one job because I did not feel safe on that campus. And I I chose the school I chose because of the safety features they had in place and really good safety features that we don't have in Broward County, which I think I've shared with you. It's I I don't understand why we don't have that when these schools here have them. So that was that was something that that was definitely a factor for me. And I've had some things happen. Um, that have really activated me and that I've had to talk to them about. And they've been super kind and gentle with me, thankfully. 
And I've also spoken into them and said, listen, like, this is not okay. You have students sitting outside of their class, uh, outside of their classrooms doing work, doing projects. And I said, you know, before 2018, I would have said, that's fine, because I used to do it too. But outside my old classroom, people die. can't do that anymore, you know? Right. And that activates me. I still see that happening. Um, I went into the school the other day, and a kid had on a bulletproof vest over his clothes. And I walk in the classroom. I I was literally fight or flight. Like I was ready to run out of the school, and I just, you know, I, I went up to the kid very calmly, and I was like, "What are you doing? Like, why is this on your body right now?" He's like, "Well, it's kind of a joke." And somebody had a Halloween costume on, or had it for a Halloween costume, and anyhow, I ended up going to the uh, going to the police officer on campus. They didn't take me very seriously at first, and I was like, "What is happening right now?" Like you people are crazy. Like you don't understand what this could mean and what could happen. And, and so they ended up coming down and talking to the kid and they, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I was like, did you guys check the backpack? Like, and you know, they did, they did everything they were supposed to do, but. I can't even imagine how upsetting that would be seeing a student in a bulletproof vest, like to use your word that I'm going to steal. I get activated in different situations that might seem like nothing to other people, but it is something to me. And, you know, I'm glad that you said something to the officer and to administration, because while it may have just been a simple joke, it's not funny. And it could have been something serious. And had it been something serious, you would have saved how many lives? It's who I am right now, right? Like you said, like different things, bringing different things up. And I have to talk to the students about it. I don't usually, I didn't want to tell my students. They're only middle schoolers, but they were like making really loud noises and they were like banging their books against the walls. And even though I didn't hear the gunshot, I still know where they were and all of it you know so it's like it's still when I hear it it still activates me not in the same way it would activate somebody who was there but right so I had to say like you can't do that like I can't hear that noise why do you feel being a yoga teacher and your zen hippie self why do you feel that the mind body or do you feel that the mind body connection is so important in dealing with trauma and healing there's a book that was written many many years ago called the body keeps score i hadn't read it prior to all of this but through my yoga training and through my yoga practice i know that our bodies and our brains store the trauma and i've learned so much gone through so much education with these different, you know, with on-site and with the Center for Mind-Body Medicine and this research-based, it's true, it's real, like it's a real thing, like I'm not making it up, I'm not a hippie, I'm not zen, like this is real. And moving our bodies and doing somatic work, I call it getting unstuck, like we get stuck and the trauma gets stuck in our bodies, in our brains, doesn't go to the right place. And we have to, talk therapy isn't enough. It's just not enough. And so I'm a huge advocate of mind-body medicine. I even have run groups on our campus with teachers, and I know it's helped them. You know, I know it has. I've run groups with students, and I know it's helped them. And I've done groups myself, and I know it's helped me. So, yeah, you asked me the biggest way or the most effective way to help any victim of any trauma is mind-body medicine. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow Teachers Unified to End Gun Violence on Instagram and threads at Teachers Unify 
and follow the podcast on both platforms at Teachers Unify PC.